Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Church, good to see you guys. All those that are joining in, whether you're a member or visitor through YouTube via uh, YouTube live streaming, we want to say welcome to you, and I'm glad that you're able to join with us. And please consider staying after the service is over. Consider uh, consider joining the Zoom meeting so you can fellowship and get to meet and uh, connect with other members of the church. Um, I just want to remind you that as we are well into the month of May, uh, we are. I want to let you know that the church is constantly paying attention to the news and also the government orders, and we're constantly and, and always looking for ways to, to be mindful of what's going on uh, as we continue to wait and patiently wait uh, until the orders come where we are able to meet um, at church for live worship together. So uh, as the leaders and myself, we're involved in making decisions as we're uh, in the process of, I'm in the process of studying and then also setting what the protocols may look like going forward. So stay tuned. Until then, I, I continue to encourage you to participate in all ways possible, not only Sunday services, but also our uh, small groups blocks that meet um, twice a month. And this coming week happens to be our block week. So uh, get ready and ready to look for our um, meeting invitations that will come throughout the week. And I also have another update for you guys. I know um, that in this crazy and unique season, we are having to uh, go out wearing masks, and a lot of public places require that we are um, wearing masks. So as a church, we thought it might be nice to provide some kind of relief or for those that don't have access to uh, masks to wear going out. So... Uh, for initially, uh, we initially, we have prepared some masks at church. Uh, and if you're a family or yourself, you're in need of masks. Um, starting next week, um, uh, four masks will be available per family. So if for whatever reason you can't get access to the masks available, this is the one I'm holding right now is KN95. Um, so come, uh, you can get up to four masks. Again, to initially start this um, help. So we want to be able to be of aid as you and your family are trying to get by in this season. So come by if you can come before one hour before service, and we will also stay one hour after the service ends. So starting 12, 12 p.m. to 1 o'clock and also 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. starting next Sunday. So if you are ever in need of masks, uh, you could contact me, contact Pastor Tavis, and we will make sure to provide these masks and have them set aside so you can come and pick them up starting next Sunday. All right, let's get started. If you are joining us for the first time today in a while or first time ever, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians, and today we happen to be in chapter 13. So church, would you meet me in chapter 13 of the book of 1 Corinthians? And I'm going to read for us. And I'm reading from the NASB. If you have a different version, you are welcome to follow along reading your own version. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer before we begin? God, we thank you for giving us your precious word to us this morning. God, we humble ourselves, and God, we uh, pay attention, God. God, we are ready to observe uh, your teaching, God, your commands that come through your holy word, God. So God, I pray that you will give all of us the ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have prepared for us to glean from today. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know who Tina Turner is? As I was reading this passage and writing this sermon, I cannot help singing and recalling the words of the song which Tina Turner sang, What's Love Got to Do With It? I understand there's a bit of a, a, a separation in my reference to this because this song became very popular in the mid-80s, widely popular. So I understand that some of you younger folks do not have any idea what this song is about. But there's a song that is titled, What's Love Got to Do With It? And this, the premise of this song is basically is questioning the motives, the questioning the, the, the shallow and external expression of love. All that to convey that there's a lot more to love than what is perceived in the outward appearance. So that song continued to come into play in my head because as, a, as I was reading chapter 13, the insertion of this particular passage seems very abrupt. And, and for me, I had, uh, if you're not careful here, anyone that's reading the first Corinthians, uh, the insertion of chapter 13 can be very confusing. So we want to make sure that we understand the context of which Apostle Paul is bringing up the notion of love here. And I want to remind you that Paul is addressing the problems or the complaints, complaints that have been raised to him by the leaders of the Corinthian church. Remember, the Corinthian church 
as powerful as he was, as influential as he was, as, God, as gifted as he was, because God just really overflowed that church body with many, many gifts. But it came with blessings. Also, we see the misuse of spiritual gifts. We see, we saw, we studied in the past that this church had uh, corrupt practices of the Christian faith. So we want to understand exactly what is going on here and exactly understand what does love have to do with talking about spiritual gifts? Why is love highlighted so importantly in the context of church? And beyond that, why is love considered so important in our personal lives as we deem ourselves, as we claim ourselves to be follower, followers of Jesus Christ? And hopefully we understand that after today's study, that we understand that this is just so much beyond just a romantic passage. And mind you that this passage was not written for, uh, to be used for, for weddings, although that, that this is preached often uh, for the wedding, but to understand the context of which this portion is written. And, and the Corinthian uh, church culture was obsessed with learning deep spiritual secret knowledge. They were into, heavily into prophesying. They were heavily into having foreknowledge and communicating that. And, and, and often doing so, they, they, they set themselves apart from their peers. So this intention is Paul's way of interrupting. Paul is very intentional about, you know what? This is good. It's necessary we talked about spiritual gifts. It's necessary that we talk about the health of the church. But let's pause and understand what really should be the foundational piece of church. What really should be the foundational, uh, just a backdrop of all things concerning the spiritual gifts. So he abruptly inserts this chapter of love while talking about spiritual gifts. And here basically he says that spiritual gifts require godliness for true effectiveness. Any type of talent, gift, speech, power, or, or active service even if it's divinely given, hey, Paul is contending it is absolutely worthless to God without love. All of these spiritual gifts, if not exercised in the right way, all useless. And he also teaches not only about the preeminence or the superiority of love, but he later in the chapter talks about also the permanence of love. So in that, he talks about and highlights why love is so highly valued, or it should be highly valued in all of our lives. So first, I want to talk to you about the preeminence of love. In talking preeminence of love, note that Paul is contending spiritual gifts without love are worthless. Spiritual gifts without the accompaniment of love, basically he's saying it's useless. It's a bold statement. It's a controversial statement. It's a, it's a, it's a statement that should bring a, a little bit of fear into all of our hearts as we are Christians, as we are members of the body of Christ. So I want to point our attention to chapter 12, the very ending of chapter 12 here. Paul starts this section of love by saying, in chapter 12, verse 31, he says, 
I will show you still a more excellent way. You know, if you joined us two weeks ago, Pastor Tavis preached a wonderful sermon about the use of spiritual gifts and just the different varieties of spiritual gifts. He talks about the usefulness of all these gifts. Remember, he's, in, he's keeping in mind the malpractices of these spiritual gifts. And he says, I will show you still a more excellent way. As if he's wanting to press a reset button and wanting to establish a new starting point. And that, in fact, is what its love is the foundational piece here. He wants the readers to ponder beyond the acts or the ministry activities they were so consumed with but he wants the readers to understand and to now think about the true motivation behind their intense interest, not only in, but also in the use of these spiritual gifts. If I were to recap verses 1 to 3, Paul is basically exposing where the Corinthians usually found their significance in. And unfortunately, they found great significance and importance in what they were saying and how they were acting talk about it right off the get-go here speaking in tongues in Corinth speech or rhetoric was important so for them to be able to speak in different language or pray in different language this was a big deal for them and they, some of them wanted to uh, convey that they were in, indeed capable of of doing such thing and prophetic powers people were finding significance in how much they're able to know how much they were able to know in advance of the events and the things to take place in the future and some of them found great significance in the relief work that they were involved in great acts of mercy helping the poor feeding the poor clothing those without any clothes providing for jobs that they did not have jobs on their own power so all these good things, right? And he even says martyrdom. So he, he talks about even a persecution. He talks about even being arrested and being put to death for Christ's name's sake. Even that honorable act, Paul says, if all of these things or any of these things, but there is no love, he says, it's basically worthless. So he talks about the nullification of the spiritual gifts and the acts of service that these people were committed to. And he's saying all of these things could be absolutely nullified if not accompanied with the spirit of true godly love. Again, very powerful, bold statement that Paul is inserting here. When I was reading this passage, I was reminded of another passage, another example which Jesus talks about. It comes from the book of Matthew chapter 7, where he's giving a parable of a tree and the good fruit, a good tree and its fruits. And I'm going to read for you verses 21 to 23. This is now, again, Jesus is talking to his audience and he's basically warning them of the danger of having a wrong attitude, a wrong motive here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does, not, uh, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons 
and in your name perform many miracles, I will declare to them, this is Jesus saying, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. <laughs> Again, this has to be one of the scariest verses in the Bible, especially because you are Christian. You know, I, I certainly heard about this verse uh, sometime after, subsequent to my conversion. So up until this point, I'm like, my life is good. I have surrendered my life to Jesus, and I'm serving. I'm ministering. Like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm part of the student leadership now. I, I go to places now ministering. And when this verse was preached to me and taught to me, man, I, I got really, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I freaked out. I repent. God, I don't want this to happen. I mean, it's one thing for you to live your life as a heathen, as an unbeliever, denouncing Christ. You willfully disassociate yourself from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's one thing, being denied later on the judgment day. But it's a whole different, uh, uh, it's a whole new level of anxiety and fear when for the entirety of your faith life, for the entirety of your Christian life, you thought you were good. You made it. You were serving. You're serving God. You're ministering. And on that day, you hear the words, all of the things that you did in Jesus' name. So we thought. But Jesus says, all of this will not count. And he will say, I never knew you. I mean, that is not the surprise that I want to be surprised with when I check into heaven and when I see Jesus face to face. It's very similar here. This is why I say 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a very radical chapter. It's not all lovey-dovey, romantic. Hey, I can't, I can't help but to love you. It's not that. Paul is issuing a very critical admonition here. Paul is saying all of these good things that you and I are involved in, all of these good services of act that you are committed to doing, if done in the wrong way, Paul is saying, they will not count. Are you with me so far? He's basically saying, it's not just what you do that will count. It's not just what you do, but how you do will matter. It's not just what you do, but when we, what we do unto the Lord must be done in the right way. Church, can this apply to us as well? Does this passage somehow pertain to us? Are we, can we be just as prone to do this? We know from verses 1 to 3, Paul is talking about the preeminence of love. He's talking about, man, make sure that you're serving with love. Make sure that an underlying of all the things that you're involved in, make sure that love is the basis. Love is a starting point of all that you do. So, so when I read that, I understand that, that the importance and the preeminence of love is highlighted. I get that. I get that. But when I read that passage, I'm a little bit unclear or confused about what does that mean? 
What does it mean to serve God with as love as a foundation? What does it mean to, to prophesy but do, it, do so with love? What does it mean to relieve the poor, help the poor, but do it with love? Is Paul talking about just passion? Is Paul talking about being emotional? We say lovey-dovey. I mean, whatever that means. Is he talking about care? Is he talking about compassion? Or any other words that are more commonly associated with love? And this is where we transition to reading verses 4 through 7. Because here, Apostle Paul is clarifying the definition of love. Maybe he was mindful of the readers, future audience like myself, that had a difficult time grasping what love is. And perhaps some of you guys are wanting to know as well. And, and I think this passage, verses 5 through 7, will really help us understand what it means to love, what it means to serve in the right way, what it means to exercise the spiritual gifts with the right attitude, meaning with the right attitude and the correct motive. Okay, this passage should help us here. So and think about all the ways that you serve the Lord. You serve him through church. You serve through your, uh, 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 in partnership with other missions organizations. Perhaps you have gone overseas. Perhaps you place yourself in a different uh, community or different country even so that you can be used by God. Now think about all the times that you have served, but do it, uh, think about the possibility that you have done without love. Okay? Again, and Paul is basically, I, I, what I believe he's saying, he's specifying the context which we have to catch ourselves in, making sure that we don't err on the side of what? Doing with the wrong motive or doing it for the wrong pur purpose here. Has there ever been time where you serve but you display these traits? I'm going to just list them for you. He uses 15 different verbs, 15 different words to um, to, to specify the, uh, the, uh, the areas of danger if we're not careful here. Okay? What does it mean to serve without love? Have you ever been impatient? Have you ever been jealous? Have you ever been arrogant or cocky? Have you ever been mean to people? Let me specify here. Have you ever been mean to church as you're serving? Have you ever been selfish? In your serving, have you ever grumbled, complained? Have you ever complained? Or you got annoyed? How about have you ever served in church or in ministry, but your private life, your life at home and your life at work was a complete mess? Have you ever lied? Have you ever been deceitful? Have you ever been intolerant? Meaning, have you ever been bigoted or narrow-minded as a person? And you display these attitudes in the context of your serving. It's getting real, isn't it? So again, at first, when Paul talked about Make sure you serve. Make sure you exercise your gifts, spiritual gifts, with love. That was kind of vague. 
that was kind of broad. But Paul is specifying by defining what love is. He's saying whenever you serve, whenever you give in love, make sure that these traits are accompanied in all that you do for the Lord and in the name of the Lord. Unfortunately, in the context of church ministry, we witness oftentimes us failing over and over in this regard. At times, we are selfish. Sometimes, many times, we are driven by our selfish motives. I can think of an incident when I was a youth pastor. I think I was actually a college pastor, but was observing a youth ministry. There was this one uh, a member of the high school ministry. I knew him. I knew his family well. He was a member of the church, but he, sel- he seldom attended church sun- uh, services on Sundays because he found church service to be boring. He found that he, was, uh, he found it difficult to connect with other students, and it was kind of aloof, but he wanted to do things for the church, Right? But he, he didn't really participate. But one of the things that he loved doing was that he was a, I would say, gifted. He, he loved music. I think he loved more than music. I think he loved that he loved music. So I saw this kid, high school kid, volunteering over and over again to do special songs. And while I never saw him on a regular basis attending church, attending youth group services, being a member of small groups that they were taking part in, but he often served, he volunteered, he pestered the youth pastor saying, please, let me do the special song. And I thought it was kind of interesting. I began to think, man, I know you're a kid, but why do you, why do you come to church? Why do you feel the need so much that you have to sing, yet you fail to participate in other venues of ministry? And I remember, like, I remember thinking, man, I, can't, I couldn't help but to think, man, you're driven by your selfish motives. There was also a man, he was a, a wealthy businessman, and he had a, 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 he had a heart to be of help. So we thought. So once there was a need, great need in the church, I think at the time it was a building project, the church that I was part of. So this man gave generously. This man gave. He, 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 he worked. And, and I, I knew not of the exact amount, but to the point where the church was able to be in good standing, coming out of the crisis because of the generous, generosity of this man. Shortly after that, I think the seasons aligned in such that uh, it, it happened to be a season where there were elder nominations and, and they, they were getting ready for a brand new year of church ministry and installing different officers throughout the church. And the word spread around that he, this, this man stopped coming to church and attending church because he was so offended that his, his name was not nominated, his name was not put into the vote where he would be considered for eldership. And I mean, again, this is a backstory. I mean, I, I discovered much later. It's like, oh, that's the reason why you did not come to church? Oh, that's the reason why you, you, you saw yourself? Because uh, then, then he made me question. like, so all of the times that you have given, all of the times that you were generous with your uh, uh, funds, 
giving monetarily? Was there a hidden motive? Because he, was fa- he failed to be nominated for eldership? It, it, I couldn't help but to think about, man, right, good act, good deed, done, but with the wrong motive. Man, this could be a lot more hurtful, and this could be not beneficial at all for the purpose of the church ministry. I can think of another. I mean, I, there's so many examples. I, I'll just give one more example. This particular person, adored by the church, very prominent leader in the church. Everyone knew him. Everyone just very prominent, highlighted But later we found out that there were a lot of problems going on in the context of his own family in his his own home. And, 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 And there were complaints, there were concerns given by the family members. And 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 we look into that, and then I'm reminded through this passage, Paul is warning us, Paul is cautioning us that. It's not important that we receive and we eagerly yearn for the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. Our responsibility do not end there. He's saying how we do things, how we disperse the spiritual gifts that God has given to us, it must be done with the right attitude, right motive. If not, we are in a great danger of what verses 1 and 3 we become like a noisy gong. Ooh, a clanging cymbal. It's cacophonous. It's loud. It's annoying. It's a musical instrument. Guess what? But you're not making music. Do you, do you understand what, what Paul is conveying here? This is why I think 1 Corinthians chapter 13. These are great, great words of great uh, warning. Words of warning here. Making sure that our acts of service unto the Lord are prefaced with the right motive and the right attitude. Let's transition on to the next portion which Paul talks about. First, he talks about the preeminence of love. He talks about the importance of love as it as should underlie all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul segues to talking about the permanence of love. And he adds to the supremacy of love. Now, he Paul's adds on to now, of all the things, there's actually only one thing that lasts forever. So he transitions into verse 8 by again contrasting the prized spiritual gifts of Corinth. Again, those three things just keep coming up. Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. And he, he brings them up, he compares them of the permanence of these things with the permanence of love. And we'll see again Paul in chapter 14, the, uh, the examples that he alludes to, he uses the same examples. So we'll get to that next week. And there's a comparison to be made with the temporality or transiency of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, namely prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. And they seem to be Paul's favorite, right? And then he talks about none of these things will last forever. Uh, Look with me, verse 8 here. Verse 8, love 
never fails. That word failing is not, oh man, it's, gonna, it's not going to deliver in time. That word never fail. Fail means he's talking about the, the uh, it has to do with the time. It has to do with uh, will it last or not last. Love endures forever. But if there are gifts of prophecy, this will be done away with. Gift of tongues, they will cease. Gift of knowledge, it will be done away. Three times he highlights and he names them specifically. They're going to go away. He's talking about the seizing of the gifts. Again, some, uh, this is a side note. A lot of the um, scholars or this, uh, different beliefs, they use that verse to talk about the cessation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we're not going to get into that, but I don't personally believe that that verse alone is, <laughs> it should be the foundation of peace about that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are no more now, okay? Certainly not that. And, and again, we're not going to talk about that today. It's a wrong platform, okay? But he's talking about that the, even the spiritual gifts that are God-ordained, God-given, and God bestow them upon the church to be used for the betterment of the church and bringing glory to God. But these spiritual gifts have a shelf life. Paul is basically saying that. These things will one day be no more. So he's talking about the temporality of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, he talks about not just the temporality of the spiritual gifts, but he talks about the partiality of the spiritual gifts. He also speaks of what the incompleteness of the spiritual gifts. And verse 9 conveys us that. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. He's saying even when you prophesy, even when you exercise the gift of knowledge, there are limitations in which these spiritual gifts can accomplish. But he says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. The limited spiritual gift, uh, gifts will be done away with. And he gives an example here. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I used to think like a child. But when I grew up to be a grown man, I have done away with the childish ways. He's talking about how all of these things will come to an end eventually. And verse 12, arguably... My favorite verse in all of the Bible, arguably. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. When you understand that word mirror, when you read that word mirror, make no mistake, it's not the mirror that you and I look into every single day. It's not the same as a mirror that we check ourselves in on a daily basis. Some of us, on an hourly basis. He's not talking about the mirror that you and I are, are accustomed to. He's talking about, uh, actually, Corinth was known for making, producing beautiful, beautiful mirrors produced from bronze. And how did they do that? What, how can bronze be metal? Basically, they're polishing this metal. Polishing to the point where it could be as clear as it could possibly be. But there's a limitation in which you can do that. 
So Paul is saying, when you look into a mirror, you can't really see yourself in the clear. There's never, there's, it's never clear. But he's talking about, but there's one day, but there will ever come a day. There will come a day where all the things that I know in just partiality, I don't have a full view of how things are in this life, but there will come a day where all things that I had partially known will come to full knowledge. Amen, church. I mean, wouldn't that be a glorious day for us? For me, you know what it is? All the questions that I've had during the course of my life, all the prayers that have gone unanswered, all the, all the things that the pain and suffering that I've seen in the course of my life, but there will come one day that all of these things will be made sense to us. And Paul is talking about the spiritual gifts, the acts of service that you're doing right now. He's saying every one of these things has a shelf life. But he's talking about, but love, love will out-endure. Love will outlast all the spiritual gifts. And he gives a, the ultimate mic drop verse to us, right? In verse 13. But now faith, hope, love. Among these three, the greatest of love, a uh, greatest of these is love. I don't for one second believe that Paul's intention is to um, uh, demote or deprioritize hope and faith. But he's talking about just the power of, just the permanence of love. He's talking about just the importance of love in all that we're committed to do Make sure that you're operating out of the spirit of this God-given love. Amen, church? Amen. Again, let's take the time to assess our own lives. Let's take the time in all the acts of services that we have committed to. Have we done so with the right attitude and with the right motive? Have there ever been instances where we were driven by our own ego? Were there ever moments we were driven by uh, receiving reward here on earth? Are there ever moments in our lives and our service unto the Lord that where we want to be recognized by others? Are there moments where we are jealous? then church, I want to just uh, take the time to pray together and to reposition and recalibrate our hearts, saying, God, we want to receive this love. God, nothing that we do is more important than the person that you have called us to be. So God, we pray today to receive from you this divine love that this becomes the absolute foundation in all that we do. Amen, church? We learned about love. Now, next week, next chapter, Paul's going to lead us right back into the conversation of the use of the spiritual gifts. 
But as he suddenly and abruptly takes the time to focus on the importance of love, may you and I also have the chance to pause, take a break from all that we're doing, and get right with the Lord. And with that, let's close the sermon portion of our service today. Friends, would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, we concede to you today. God, we talked about the preeminence and the permanence of love. God, it's so easy for us to get caught up in what we do for you. Sometimes we get caught up and and we get excited, but it's done with the wrong motive, Lord. Sometimes church becomes a platform where we want to just strut what you have given to us. God, may that not be the case for Rooftop Church. God, may we serve and love with the heart of humility, gentleness, peace. And God, we want to see just different gifts being utilized for your glory and the edification of this body only. And God, even so now, highlight these gifts in us. Even so now, Teach us, God. And God, we want to be a part of a church where we are not just attending, where we are not just consuming, but God, we want to commune in a godly way. God, we want to contribute. We want to give. We want to take. God, we want to eat from the just precious fruit of the Holy Spirit. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. And God, we surrender at this time. We also pray for the church that we are part of. Speak to us. Lead us for the remainder portion of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to take this time to give offering unto the Lord as we believe it is also our worship unto him. As the Bible says, God loves cheerful givers. May we give in faith, even in our lack, even in shortage, maybe. May this be an expression, a beautiful expression of faith that God would give, trusting you, would give, celebrating your faithfulness in our lives.